Okay, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. And like he said, that is on page 818 of the Bibles in front of you. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, I just thank you so much um, that we are able to gather here together today. Um, And let us just not take that for granted because it's not lost on us that that's a freedom that many around the world do not um, possess or experience, God. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you for your word and that it is living and active and just as relevant to us today as it was um, to those who it was first written to thousands of years ago. Um, Please be with Nathan as he um, opens your word and speaks to us, Lord. Just help him to be in tune with the spirit and help us to have ears that listen um, and are challenged by what um, you're going to say through him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Feels like you've been standing for three days, right? Uh, Well, (laughs) thanks for standing. Um, It it is not uncommon for us to read in the scriptures of people standing for prolonged periods of time uh, to hear the the reading of the word and to uh, respond to to what the word has to say. Um, And so uh, the the path has been paved well, Uh, no pun intended, uh, in light of our text. And just to get this out of the way, I did not lose a bet. Um, I am not making any kind of statement 
Um, I didn't even recognize I had an orange shirt on today, uh, for those of you who kind of understand the cultural, uh, the, 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 the cultural scene of our time. Um, those of you who are cowboy fans, you are, you are wearing those loud and proud today. Um, I am not so much. Uh, this is just a fall color, and I didn't even recognize uh, the, the, uh, what it might pr- communicate uh, when I put it on this morning. And so, uh, really looking forward to being in this text. Uh, this, this past week, my family and I went up to northwest Arkansas uh, for a couple of nights. Not long enough, just a couple of nights to get away, to rest. And uh, on the way back, probably about 30 miles east of Tulsa, uh, there's a billboard right before an exit. Um, And the billboard, the first thing that you see is, I don't care. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, You see this giant billboard. If you've been up to that area, you see this big billboard. It says, I don't care. Um, And it turns out that it is a billboard for a restaurant called I Don't Care. Pretty pretty clever, right? Uh, How many... probably shouldn't do this because I don't want to resurrect any old fights or, or, or tiffs between you, but who in the last 10 years has been in a fight with a significant other or a friend uh, because you wouldn't make a decision um, about where you wanted to go? What do you want for dinner? Babe, I don't care. Well, this restaurant has tapped into that market uh, by when, when babe says that, I don't care, that's exactly where we're going. Uh, we've got a pretty indecisive uh, 12-year-old girl in our family. Uh, and so I made sure to show her this billboard and to just say, all right, anytime that we ask you what you want to eat and you say, I don't care, we are going to drive 30 miles east of Tulsa um, and go eat um, at this place. It's probably not that good. I don't know. Has anybody eaten it? Oh, it's good. Okay. That's wonderful. <laughs> hey, I bring all that up to say um, that it doesn't seem that the Jesus that we have encountered and the Jesus that we will continue encountering uh, really... I don't, I don't know how to put this other than just straightforwardly, and, and I can work it out later if it doesn't make sense. You don't really see a Jesus that has come uh, in, in order for us to be indecisive about who he is. Uh, a, a, a Savior who has come to the world uh, for, for us to just kind of teeter on who he is and who he's not. Um, he's made claims about who he is, um, and he expects those who hear who he says he is um, to respond to who he is. Um, and so unlike the restaurant that tapped into the I don't care market, Jesus is not tapping into the I don't care market. He is calling for people to follow him, uh, to trust him, and to give their lives to him. And so a major shift takes place in Matthew chapter 13. We've gone through 12 chapters. We started this book two years ago, uh, coming up December. And here we are in chapter 13. And, and really a major shift takes place where, where Jesus begins to speak in parables, now, notice that this is no phase of Matthew. Like, it's not just one chapter is given to the parables of Jesus. No, the majority of what remains in Matthew in regards to Jesus' teaching is Jesus' teaching in parables. You go all the way up to around Matthew chapter 23, and over the next 10 chapters, when Jesus teaches, he is teaching primarily in parables. And so this is no just like quick flash in the pan phase of the ministry of Christ. This is him teaching in parables. And so many of you have heard, I think it's, it's very useful for us to understand what a parable is. Many of you have heard uh, that a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I think it's a pretty good definition. Uh, it's, a, it's an earthly story. Jesus takes what, what is common. Jesus takes what is understandable to, you know, somewhat, somewhat to be grasped um, and, and, and shares a earthly story with a deeper, more spiritual, heavenly reality or meaning. 
And so it's a good definition, but, but here's the thing, church family, as we read through these parables and as we spend a great amount of time in the parables of Jesus over the next 10 chapters, um, a danger that we face and, and, and that we must be cautious of is imposing meaning on every single aspect of a parable. Um, and, and so here's, here's, what I, here's what I mean by that. Jesus will make clear in just a moment that a few things in this parable mean something very specific. And what are those things that he points at? He points to the sower, he points to the seed, and uh, he points to the soils. Now, an example of like some, something that we must be cautious of and an example of what we must be cautious of is um, what Jesus doesn't make clear is, is what his use of 160 and 30-fold means. Um, in fact, I think it's in Mark's account that he, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he uses kind of a different order from 100 to 60 to 30. He actually starts from the other way, 30, 60, 100. And what we don't know is exactly what that means. Some, some commentators, I was kind of reading this week, like, what does this 160-30 mean? Uh, so, some commentators try to do all kinds of wacky things with it. Um, and it really just boils down to this word, hogwash. Um, it's, whenever you see someone trying to fit um, a meaning to every part of the text where Jesus doesn't plainly say what this means, you can probably just walk away from that person and say, yeah, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, one commentator I was reading this week uh, talked about um, that, that maybe this 160-30, that the 100 was an allegory for the martyrs who had given their life for Christ. And the 60 was, this was kind of a, a, more of a, a medieval commentary, that the, the 60-fold number had more to do with monks who, who committed their life to celibacy. Um, and, and 30 was just the, was the obedient wife, represented the obedient wife. And again, what, what we ought to say to something like that is, is absolute hogwash. Um, nowhere in this text and nowhere in the scriptures um, and nowhere from anyone who has any head on their shoulders reading this text would come away thinking that Jesus is talking about martyrs, monks, and wives. Uh, he's, he's not doing that. Um, and so we're not going to read something into this text. But as you may have heard before, and what's going to guide us as we read through these parables and teach through these parables, just a really fun little saying, the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. Does that make sense? The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And so what we have to be cautious of as we read and study the parables is to be cautious of faulty allegories, things that just like, nope, that's not substantial. That doesn't stand. Uh, we don't see that in the text. And so here's the wonderful thing about the parable that we have today. Uh, Jesus explains and tells us exactly what he means by it. Uh, and so uh, the, that's, the, that's the wonderful thing. And so here's the tension that we face. So I've given you a caution. Here's the tension that we face in today's text. The tension now, since we know that Jesus explains later what this parable means, the tension now that we may be faced with as the hearers in this text is not what does this mean, but am I willing to accept what Jesus is saying? Am I willing to accept that Jesus is saying some hard things here that I would rather he not have said? And, and am I willing to accept what is true even though I wish that weren't true? And, and realize that we are not God and realize that we are not good and realize that we are not sovereign and God is. And so that's the question, not what does this mean because again, Jesus tells us. Rather, are we willing to accept it accept it as what God speaks. And so it's not an easy text. Here's a simple outline for this text. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you're gonna see, you probably have some breaks in your text. We're gonna, we're gonna see a simple outline in this text. Jesus first gives a parable in the first nine verses, and then he gives the reason for speaking in parables, which is the next seven verses. And then um, Jesus explains the parable, which is the next six or so verses. And you can check my math. I, I 
I get confused when I'm doing math on the spot like Kevin does. So um, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 9 uh, together. And so if you would, let's follow along uh, here in the reading of God's word. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Notice first something very interesting, um, that by modern and pragmatic standards, Jesus has a real opportunity here to close the deal. You know what I'm talking about? He's got this real opportunity to close the deal evangelistically with a lot of people. Um, he, Jesus has left the house that he was in at the end of chapter 12, says that, that he, that, he, that he was in a house, and then he went out of the house in chapter 13, and he sat beside the sea. So he's left the house, and the message that he has is about to be proclaimed to a group of people so large that he gets into a boat to use as a stage for them to hear. There's a bunch of people on, on the beach. And so Jesus has this opportunity now um, to leverage the masses and be the, be, be, be the first great Billy Graham, right? Um, that's kind of a joke. You, you do know that, right? The, yeah. So he has an opportunity to leverage these masses that are gathered around him to make a clear, earnest, simple plea about coming into the kingdom. And so if you're a, again, if you're a pragmatist and you're like, man, look at this moment that he's got. Look at this crowd that he has. Look at the crowds. Jesus has, a, Jesus has a real opportunity here. Yet, what does Jesus do? He speaks to them in parables. He speaks to them in parables. He speaks in such a way to these crowds that doesn't drastically add to his numbers of followers. But in such a way that he will later admit, follow me here, that he himself will later admit that these parables are meant to conceal truth from those who are merely superficial onlookers and listeners. Those who are not genuine seekers of what Jesus has to say, Jesus is willing to conceal truth in such a way to drive those who are superficial in their following, superficial in their hearing, to actually drive them away. And by the way, Jesus says that. And we'll, I'll show you that in just a minute. And so in this parable, the main characters are the sower, the seeds, which is what he later says is the word of the kingdom in verse 19, um, and the soils. Uh, you got four different kinds of soils. And so that's the majority of, of time that is given to the way that the seed is received. And so the majority of the, of the way that Jesus' time is, is given to this teaching is the way that the word is received. So he talks about what is sowed, what is thrown out. He talks about the sower, and then he gives four examples of the way that the word is received uh, by different hearers. Um, is, is what his time is given to. And so, again, there is a sower with seeds, and there are four examples given here of the receptivity of that seed. And so, next we have verses 10 through 17. And Jesus gives the reason for teaching in parables. Let's read that. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, 
To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is a hard thing that Jesus says. <laughs> did anybody feel that? Now, let me say something first. I don't even have this in my notes. I just, I just noticed, I think it's worth saying. Verse 15, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their eyes, uh, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Just see real quick that Jesus is giving people an opportunity to turn to him. Jesus is, is not just putting up this wall between people. He is saying, no, this is how you walk in relationship with me, by hearing and understanding. And so, Jesus is met with this question. Jesus indicates in this text that there are two realities in the gospel message that exist. Are you ready? You ready for this? There are two message, there are there are two realities within the gospel message that, that coexist: the mystery of the gospel and the obviousness of the gospel. You hear that? There is there is both mystery to the gospel and there is obviousness to the gospel. Another way we might put it, there is complexity to it and simplicity to the gospel message. In fact, Paul is going to reinforce this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to turn there. If you want to turn there with me, you may. Paul is going to, to, to say this thing that we just we, we would think, well, no, it's, just, it's, it's not supposed to be like that. Well, Paul says in, uh, in verse 18 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so the gospel is both folly and power. Is it folly or power? Well, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says it is both. To those who are perishing, it is foolishness. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And neither of those are contradictions to one another. Neither one of those things are contradictions to one another. Um, rather, it is the nature of the message of the gospel. That people hear the gospel and to some it will harden and others it will it will soften them. Uh, we're, as we kind of progress throughout church history here, we start with Jesus, we went to, to Paul, we see Spurgeon say something very helpful where he says, the same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. You've, I don't know if you've heard that, that quote before, but you have this dual, this dual effect to the gospel on people's lives. To some it hardens, and to others it softens. And so the mystery and the obviousness throughout this whole parable is not a distinction in the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, let's use those words, the message of the word of the kingdom given to groups of people. It is the same message. Jesus is giving the same message to all people. Rather, it is their receptivity to this message that is identified in the four soils, that this message is being received differently and planted differently in the souls of these different soils. So it says in the text here that the disciples have been given to know 
the secret of the kingdom of heaven. But to others, he says, it has not been given, is what, is what the text says. So here's an important thing to, to catch real quick as we just kind of understand what's going on in this text. You, you, you might assume that Jesus is just speaking about the Pharisees here. Um, I could be wrong, but, but nowhere in this text or in this chapter does he reference the Pharisees exclusively as, those, as to those who these things are hidden. I, I, if, if you see it, just like raise your hand and be like, hey, I, think, I think you're wrong, or just email Thomas. And in fact... Not only does he not highlight exclusively the Pharisees, typically you'd be like, okay, he just got off this like major cage match with the Pharisees. So surely he's talking to the Pharisees. Well, it says the crowds are there. It says that Jesus has given the parables to the crowds. The disciples come and ask him. Um, and, and nowhere in this text or all of this chapter does Jesus reference exclusively the Pharisees as to those who these things are hidden. And in fact, further, Jesus includes the crowds in the implication of the prophecy being fulfilled from Psalm 78 in verses 34 through 35. Are you so lost yet? Look at verses 34 and 35. All these things of, of Matthew 13, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I w- this is Psalm 78 too, by the way. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So Jesus is speaking about the way that this message is generally received by the crowds of people, which does include the Pharisees. Don't don't hear what I'm not saying. The Pharisees seem to be present. The Pharisees are there, but it is not limited to the Pharisees. Jesus is giving parables to the crowds. He is concealing something from these crowds who seem to just be riding on the coattails of this great, you know, figure, Jesus, who's doing all these crazy things. And so they all hear the same message. They all see the same Messiah, but the text says that there are varying responses to what the Messiah has to share. There are varying responses to that. And Jesus goes on to say multiple times in this text that not only were the parables meant to conceal from the superficial and to reveal to the genuine, but also to fulfill prophecy and confirm that he's the Messiah. So the, the, look what he says. Um, let's see, where's this at? Uh, Psalm 78, 2, um, we, we do see that. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, we see um, in these verses 14 and 15. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, and then again in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13. Jesus claims that his purpose for sharing miracle, uh, these parables is to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would come and speak in parables. That's what Isaiah said, and that's what Psalm 78 said. And so um, uh, this is something very important. The parables were not some pragmatic, hip-shot uh, approach taken by Jesus. It wasn't like, all right, Jesus is getting with his, uh, with his ministry team. He's like, all right, we got all these people. How do we, how do we handle this? And, and, and somebody's like, we should do a hel- egg drop from helicopter. And he's like, no, I don't like that. And then like the next guy, he's like, we should, uh, you know, do, you know, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. And somebody's like, you should do parables. No, Jesus, Jesus isn't coming up with this parable idea to figure out how to best reach the crowds. No, Isaiah and the psalmist both prophesy that the Messiah will come and speak in parables. And so at least Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. 
He's, he's kind of doing the same exact thing that he did with the miracles. He's, through his miracles, he showed, hey, I'm the one who is to come. Through his telling of prophecy, he's saying, I'm the one who was to come. And so, again, it was not some hip shot approach taken by, G, by Jesus. It was a divine directive from the Father that Jesus would teach in parables and that people would not understand is what the Old Testament has to say. And so Jesus' use of parables broadens his claims, broadens Matthew's, really this case that Matthew is building for who Christ is, that the parables broaden the claims and affirm who Christ is in, in very similar ways as his miracles. And so the purpose of the, mirror, of the parables of Jesus, I would say, are threefold. So far in the text, we see that one purpose is to conceal to conceal to those who would not hear, who, would not, who had hardened hearts and would not listen. Now, you're gonna, this is gonna sound like a contradiction, but another thing that we see in this text is that the purpose of the parable was to reveal. And then thirdly, we see that a purpose of the parable was to fulfill. It kind of rhymes, conceal, reveal, fulfill. Uh, fulfill. Um, and so that's, that's, how, that's how it's a good way to think about these parables. Um, and as Jesus conceals, we see language of its, its judgment, it's judgment upon those who, who had hardened hearts and would not listen, would not hear, would not accept what Christ claimed and in, in who he is. For his revealing purpose of the parables, Jesus was being very merciful. In fact, we see that in verse 16. Let's read verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus, in verse 16, turns to his disciples, and if, if all you have seen and all you feel is, this, is a harshness and a judgment from Christ, remember what John says, that Christ came not to condemn the world, but to save those who would believe. John 3.16, a wonderful verse. You know what the next verse says after John 3.16? That he did not come to condemn the world. And so just recall that Jesus did not come to condemn the world. And so also adjust your angle this morning. Adjust your angle on this room as a, as a room full of those who have heard. If you're here this morning, uh, there are, I, I, I am not under the impression that everyone in this room um, has has ears to hear the way that Jesus is talking about having ears to hear. Many of you have heard the gospel over and over and over again, and what it's doing to you is actually only hardening you and pushing you farther away. The, gospel, the, the, the word tells us that's, that's one effect that the gospel has. Um, but to those of you who are saints, to those of you who have been delivered from the domain of darkness into the realm of, Christ, of, of God's beloved Son, to those of you who have been saved and who are being sanctified View what Jesus has said so far as the miraculous mercy of Christ and the fact of your salvation. View what Jesus has said so far in the view of God's great mercy towards you who are saved. Now, if you're like me, you read these two verses, 16 and 17. I wrote this in my notes this week as I was studying, I, and it was a moment of, it was a moment of, of, of not having much clarity. And, and, and the Lord, as I continued to study, uh, but through his word just made it very clear. So if you're like me, you read these two verses and you think, well, why do they see and why do they hear? Where's the, like, why? 
Why this distinction? Why do some hear and some don't? Why do some understand and some don't? And and the only thing that Jesus clarifies, at least in this text, we're not going to chase all the rabbits and all the implications that some of you may want me to chase. We're not going to chase all of those things. The only thing that Jesus clarifies if we are to ask why the disciples is by saying, blessed are you. You are blessed. You are blessed. The fact that you see, the fact that these disciples see and hear um, are realities that not come from within you, but come from outside of you. Jesus is saying, blessed are you because you hear and you understand and you see. And so the fact that you see anybody, this is true for everybody for all time. The fact that you have seen and you have heard and you have understand and you have believed is, are not things that come from within you, but something that happens from outside of you. Your faith, as the word says, is a gift from God. And so what Jesus seems to be saying and what we can say that's a, another really hard, I think, truth in reality is that all the weight of the rejection falls on the rejecter. All the weight of those who reject Christ falls on those who reject Christ. You are responsible to respond to what you hear when the gospel is proclaimed to you. All the weight of the rejection falls on the rejecter and all the glory of the reception belongs to the Savior, right? All the, re- all the weight, let me say it again, all the weight, I don't even say amen, I just wanna say it to clarify to make sure that you hear me. All the weight of the rejection, all of it, on judgment day when you stand before God and when you spend eternity separated from God, if you don't believe, All the weight of your rejection lies upon the rejecter. But if you have been shown mercy and been shown grace, all the glory of the reception belongs to the Savior. None of it to you. And that's why Jesus says, he doesn't tell us us why. We, We don't understand why. And again, we can chase all sorts of implications, but we're not gonna chase implications in this text. What it does say is that those who have heard and those who have seen and those who understand, blessed are you. You're not blessed because you're hashtag blessed um, or, or whatever those things are. You are blessed because the Savior has blessed you. And so rejoice deeply, church family, as an application in that. Rejoice deeply in Christ's mercy towards you, an undeserving sinner for that's what is before us in this text. And so then he gives an explanation. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get through this because I, I think the, uh, we're gonna get through this. The explanation in verses 18 through 23. Let's read that. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And so in this parable, again, the main characters are the sower, the seeds, which is the word of the kingdom, he says that there in verse 19, and the soils, uh, or those who receive, those who hear. And so um, there, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of clarity 
in this text, I, I, I didn't dive too deeply in the other. By the way, this, I, I believe that this parable is uh, shared in all four Gospels. Um, and so it may, be, it may be present in one of the other Gospels, but in this text, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of, of clarity on who the sower is, whether or not that is Jesus in this time or whether that is something that may apply to anyone who may share the gospel, just those who sow, those who share. Um, and, and so what, what the main point seems to be um, and what Jesus' time is given to here is how the message is received. So whoever it is proclaiming this message, whether it's Christ, uh, whether it's us as we proclaim and share the gospel as we've been called to do, um, what, what seems to be the highlight and the focus is how that message of the kingdom that Christ has come and Christ has paid for all of our sins and through faith in him we can be saved, it seems to be that the, that the emphasis is on how that message is received. And so he explains that by giving examples of four kinds of soils, the path, the rocky ground, thorns, and the good soil. The path is a brief description of one who hears and simply does not understand. It's what the, it's what the text seems to say. Jesus, in, in, with the path, identifies Satan as the active agent here. That they hear and then Satan comes along, um, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Uh, the rocky ground um, several of you will, will understand what this means. Uh, the rocky ground is the exciting conversion story from church camp. You know, about, you know about those? Remember those? I think I got saved eight times as a kid. It was wonderful. Um, and so uh, the rocky ground is this exciting conversion story from church camp. The word is received with joy, uh, without root. It lives on the camp high for a while. And then when hardship comes, um, maybe any kind of hardship, I, I would always recall your mind to James chapter 1. Um, it talks about count all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Um, and so maybe you, you hear hardship and you think this is what hardship is and what it looks like. And maybe what I'm going through doesn't constitute hardship. Well, the Bible says that lots of things can be hardship and lots of things can contribute to your holiness, um, holiness in walking with and fellowship with God. And so hardship comes, and, and what the rocky ground exemplifies is that it proves that the word took no root. This is just simply what the text says. The rocky ground is received with joy, uh, it takes no root, hardship comes, and it proves that the word took no root. Um, the thorns represent those who hear, uh, but are choked out by cares and deceitfulness and riches. And Jesus says um, here in, let's see, where does he talk about the thorns? In verse 22, as for the, what was sown among thorns this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the world choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so Jesus says that their hearing and their receiving proves unfruitful. Don't miss that. And then you have the good soil. And then the good soil represents those, what Jesus says here, those who hear, those who understand, and their hearing and their understanding is not marked by fruitlessness, but fruitfulness. That's what he says. It's what, what the text just plainly says. That the hearing and the understanding, lots of people have heard. You see these different soils. You, hear, you see a lot of people hearing. Uh, you even see some indications that there was some understanding in some of these soils. But the distinction, the main distinction in this good soil is, is not necessarily what they heard, but how they responded to what they heard. How they responded. So Jesus says, they indeed bear, uh, bore fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. And so the distinguishing and identifying mark of those who have identified themselves with Jesus 
who believe on who he is and they follow him as disciples is that they would bear fruit. That they would bear fruit. And we remember that is by grace, right? Uh, not, that, not that we come up with all these works in and of ourselves because of our own righteousness, but because of the grace of Christ and what the Holy Spirit does to those who truly believe in Christ is he moves into their life and he begins to transform and sanctify them. That's what the word says. In fact, so much is this the case that he who truly hears and truly understands that so much is it the case that they will bear fruit that Jesus says, indeed. <laughs> Anybody ever use that word anymore? Indeed? I, I, you do, Jacob does. J, JB says he does. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, Jesus goes so far to say, indeed, bears fruit and yields a hundredfold and another 60, and in another 30. And Jesus then clearly says here that, I don't know, maybe, maybe not clearly. I think there could be some discussion about this. Jesus does say that there, it does seem that Jesus is indicating that there may be varying degrees of fruitfulness, right? Not everybody bears 100, 100-fold. Not everybody bears 60-fold. Not everybody bears 30-fold. And we know that's not about a monk and a martyr and a wife, <laughs> We, we know that this is connected to the fruit bearing of he who has heard and understood. And so Jesus says there may be varying degrees of fruit, fruitfulness in one's life, but fruitfulness nonetheless. That there will be fruitfulness in the life of he who has trusted in Christ is what Jesus seems to be saying. Again, not because of works brought about by one's no, not because of works brought about by one's righteousness, but by the definitive work of the Holy Spirit in those who are truly Christ's, those who have truly trusted in him. So what application may we draw? And I said application a while ago, and when you heard that word, you're like, oh, he's winding down. Uh, this is the application where we wind down. The application that we may draw first is that there is remarkable significance and eternal significance to your hearing and your receptivity of the word. Great significance. Uh, There seems to be indication here that seed will be sowed broadly, that this truth will be shared broadly, and not everyone will be saved. That many will hear, but few will come. And so there seems to be indication here that there is remarkable and eternal significance to you as the hearer, how you receive and how you hear uh, the word of the kingdom, what Christ has done for us, what he is doing in the world and what he has accomplished for us, namely that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you cannot justify yourself. You cannot justify yourself and that a savior has condescended to purchase salvation for those who would believe on him. Now, that word, the word says, is one of folly or of power. To those of you who trust in Christ, you just heard what I said and at least hopefully in your heart you said amen, that I am a sinner in need of a savior who cannot justify myself who cannot fulfill myself, only Christ, based on his finished work, is able to save and to transform my heart. And it's this message that if you're not a believer, you are experiencing right now the folly of this message because you may tune me out and you may think, I don't want anything to do with this. 
And, and that, by the way, the word predicts that that will happen, <laughs> that some will hear and will tune that message out. But this is the life-changing truth of our Lord. For those who have heard and who are bearing fruit in their lives, we praise Christ for his mercy in our salvation and by his grace in the fruit that we bear by the necessary presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus doesn't just like save a shell. He doesn't, he doesn't shave, save a, a locust shell of a person and then just kind of back up. The Bible tells us over and over again that Christ saves us and the Spirit moves in and transforms our life. Some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And he says, indeed, those who are bearing fruit. And we praise Christ alone for his grace and his mercy. So the last application is for us, even just as we go throughout our week this week. We spread the seed broadly. We spread broadly the message of the kingdom of Christ, that Jesus has come to save sinners. We are not given the knowledge. Let me just make this very clear. We are not given the knowledge, and we are not sovereign in knowing who will receive and who will not. We just don't. We spread broadly. We spread that seed broadly. We proclaim faithfully. And this word tells us that some will respond because they find the message of the gospel to be power and others will refuse because they find it to be folly. And so we praise Christ for his mercy in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, I pray this morning that uh, you would, um, by your spirit, confirm your word to us. Um, help us to, to, uh, to receive your word uh, to understand your word, um, to, to be students of your word, um, and, and, and through a, a very deep familiarity with your word, um, that you would increase our, our, our love for you, um, that you would increase our desire to, to know who the Savior is, and that you would increase even our desire to, to bear fruit for the kingdom. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your grace in our lives, a, a room full of undeserving sinners who have been made new because of the mercy of God alone. And so, Lord, as we come to this table now, we are just reminded and confronted with that, with that truth again. We're confronted with that reality again, uh, that empty-handed we come, and yet we walk away from the table reminded of, of uh, the way that you have uh, transformed our lives and saved us and delivered us from the domain of darkness into your marvelous light. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.